This is an ABC podcast. What the hell just happened? Yes, this week on Download This Show, the social media platform Twitter has always been characterised by its speed and immediacy. But in the last seven days, it has set a breakneck record for changes. With billionaire Elon Musk now in charge, there's been layoffs, restructures and big changes coming for users of the controversial service. Plus, can the tech industry keep moving when one of its biggest manufacturing countries seems to be in constant COVID lockdowns? And we say goodbye to a dearly beloved piece of technology. Okay, I lied, it's not beloved, but it is weird that people are still using it. Let's find out what it is. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed. It is a brand new episode of Download This Show. We are going to start with a little bit of an apology. Uh, We were supposed to have the brilliant Ray Johnson with us, uh, but she has had to pull out with uh, an emergency and we do wish her well. You will hear, hopefully, from Ray next week and for the next three weeks because I'm going to have to go to the United States on a secret mission, which I cannot tell you about until later. But Ray Johnson will be taking care of you on Download This Show over the coming weeks. That hygiene has now been dealt with. Let me introduce you to our panel. I was about to say panellist. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> panelist uh, this week, uh, Josh Taylor from The Guardian. Welcome back. It's good to be back, even if it's just us two. You know what? It's just like it's an intimate fireside chat. Imagine we're wearing smoking jackets and there's like a, you know, a fire. Is that our vibe? I don't know if that's our vibe. We can we can try. We can try. Uh, and if you were going to uh, have a fireside chat, you'd want to do it next to the absolute hellscape that's become Twitter in the last couple of days. I really, Josh, I really thought we'd have a week where we didn't talk about Elon Musk and Twitter. And then over the weekend, so much stuff happened. So he's now in charge, yes? Yes. So he's he's gotten control of it now. And, you know, we've seen over the last few days that everything that's happened within the company is now playing out very publicly, not least of which is because uh, the chief twit, as he's calling himself, is tweeting about everything that's going on at the same time. So we're getting a real sort of, it's, it's reminding me of the, uh, when Trump was back on Twitter, where, you know, Trump was always the main character on Twitter and everyone was sort of discussing and talking about all these tweets all the time. So it's this weird space, Twitter is this weird space now where the whole conversation on Twitter is about Twitter. I know. it's It's got a slight um, slow car crash vibe about it. It's just in the sense that everything's playing out really publicly. Every incremental piece of news, every everything, every small aggression that's come out of this process is sort of playing out in public. And I look, I guess at some point in this conversation we'll debate whether or not that's ultimately a good thing or bad thing actually preemptive. I don't think you can see it as a good thing, but let's just talk about the thing. So first and foremost, Josh, uh, he stepped in as chief twit. He walked into the front door with a giant sink because he wanted us to let that sink in. Still, like, feels like being trolled on a massive scale. And then what happened? He fired everyone. (laughs) Yeah, so he announced that, well, I don't think it was ever confirmed, but we understand that roughly half of the Twitter workforce, uh, including I think most of the staff that are employed in Australia, were would be going. And that started to roll out on Friday night in, in our time. And that looked like uh, it was essentially going to be that um, people get emails either to their personal account or their work account saying that they were there or, or gone. But 
it became obvious who was going because they were suddenly locked out of their work accounts and couldn't access their laptops and things like that anymore. So uh, people found out that's a really, really cruel way for people to find out. And and we saw you know people who worked for Twitter using Twitter to to announce that they'd been going, and it was just one after the other. All these staff, all these people who worked in things like uh, the the algorithm stuff, all the the product development. Um, all the things like that, basically one after the other, saying, "Well, I guess my time at Twitter is up," and and, and tweeting about it. So, yeah, it was it was a, it was a bit like the red wedding, a little bit on Twitter on Friday. So, really, really hard to watch. I think. Yeah, horrific watching people. You know, a lot. You know, I think everyone has often have quite complicated feelings about Twitter as a platform. But you know, it is important to remember that these are people. It is a it is a it is a service that is made by people, people all around the world. And yes, to your point, there was um. There was a situation where people would be checking either their work email or their home email. And correct me if I'm wrong, but if they got an email to their work email, they still had a job. If they got an email to their home email, they were out. Is that how it really worked? That was how it was supposed to work. But through that whole locking them out of their work laptops early, it meant that people got an idea very quickly about whether they were staying or going. <laughs> what a horrific experience. And so there, there are all these interesting reports about people basically having to kind of corral onto like Slack channels and, and other groups to work out who was still in and who was still out. That sounds chaotic to say the least. Yeah, it was just very, very bizarre. It was it was one of those things... I think the the immediate sense that I got from from seeing all the tweets that were going up was that they, you got the sense of just how much people loved working for Twitter, which is, um, you know, they were tweeting like, I uh, love where you worked and things like that. And everyone was sort of supporting each other and, and things like that. But it sounded, yeah, it sounded like pure chaos from, from within the company because they weren't sort of telling other staff who were staying um which ones had been let go. And I think we have seen that play out in the, in the last couple of days. There are now reports that, uh, you know, they may have acted too hastily and some people who were let go have now been rehired when they realised that some of the stuff that Elon wants to do needs <laughs> some of the people who were let go. That, I hope they negotiate a stunningly huge uh, pay packet on return. If, if, they if, have, if, to, you they have to give me so much more. <laughs> I mean, like, the way... I mean, look, one thing it's probably worth talking about here is that treatment of employees... There has been some commentary around that it was um, it may have breached certain workplace laws in different territories. Uh, although I guess for Elon's point, he he said he was offering people more money than he was legally required to. But different countries have different workplace laws. Uh, was it necessarily legal everywhere? So there was a class action lawsuit filed on on Friday in in the US, basically saying that it was against the um, I think it was the California law around. Um, how much notice you need to give uh, staff for mass sackings of that kind uh, in large companies, and and it is sixty days. Uh, Elon Musk has since sort of said that <clears throat> that uh, he was offering to pay the people who were being let go three months uh, pay. So that would mean that 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 is that notice period. So you're basically um, getting paid in lieu of notice. Um, and from my understanding, I'm not a, I'm not an uh, a IR law, lawyer in Australia, but my understanding is uh, that's that would be also within the uh, Australian law as well. Mm. And so the hiring of people back is, I mean, is that an oversight or is that just because they're making fast, <laughs> moving fast, breaking things, trying to put it back together? <laughs> that's just them breaking things. It's just <laughs> it's just a mess. It's, it's not surprising that, you know, some of the stuff that, that Elon has announced in, on Twitter, of course, um, in terms of like allowing people to post longer tweets and 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 things like that, are stuff that Twitter was already developing, but just hadn't been released yet, according to some of the reports I've seen. And that seems to just be um, Twitter has been 
realizing that they need to roll out some of the new features that people want a, a little bit more slowly than they otherwise would. And Elon's like, no, we need to do this now. We need to ship, ship this out now. And, you, you know, we've seen that with the whole um, the verification issue where they were going to change the whole how people can be verified on the platform and they've now delayed it a little bit because it's clear that, you know, they didn't really think through all the implications, even though everyone was pointing it out to them at the time. Mm. So let's talk about what he has planned and whether or not he can achieve it, right? So um, one of... There's a range of things that have – this story is moving fast and on the day we're recording this, I'm mindful that things may happen between now and when we we put this online because things are moving super fast, as is the fashion with Twitter. Um, so there's a couple of things. Uh, one thing that has popped up, I guess a function that he's talked about, is the um, the capitalization, the democratization of the infamous blue tick, which was once reserved for uh, people of – I want to say note for lack of a better term. I don't know. I don't know what the definition is. I don't know. The, the bar for blue tick has always been fuzzy to me. Anyway, typically speaking, uh, people in the public eye end up with blue ticks, but he's now talking about changing that to being a paid service. Walk me through what we understand of what he's actually offering. Well, promising maybe is probably a better set of words. So it's basically if you pay $8 a month, uh, you will be given the option to have a blue tick added to your account to show that you're a paid user of the platform. And that's basically all it's going to be. It's not a verification tool because as far as we understand it, there is going to be no verification involved because, um, you know, they've said that there will be no, you know, back-end verification, which was the whole point of verification in the the first place, that you, when you're on Twitter, you are who you say you are. Um, It just... It's very. I think it's very telling that Elon Musk sees this as um, sort of a status symbol rather than just you know making sure that people from news outlets and things like that are, are who they say they are. And it, it, it's weird. I find the whole blue tick thing very strange because it, I mean, for, for some uh, in Australia, for I think for a certain section of the population, it became a, a term of derision for journalists that they don't like because they've got blue ticks. <laughs> um, such a and weird, lame flex. <laughs> it How is. How dare you is. have a blue tick? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I, I think, you know, now that they've, you know, it's the time we're recording, uh, they've announced they're going to delay it until after the US midterm elections is because they realised that it wouldn't take much for someone to assemble a, an army of, of accounts and uh, pay all these accounts to get verification badges and then pretend to be official news sources in the outcome of the, of the US midterms. So I think that, you know, I, I think this this all comes down to I think Elon Musk thought he was buying a tech platform and he's figured out that he's actually well, he's learning the hard way really that he's buying a, a community and and the rules that are are required for that are very very different. You, you know, we've seen it in terms of they was talking about um, you know free speech is legal. People can there'll be much more openness on what people can say and do. Then he's sort of backtrack on that when advertisers have started to freak out and said, well, we're when we're just going to keep the current moderation tool the positions in play and um you know we've we've seen uh on monday that he was you know comedy was supposed to be legal but there were there were a lot of accounts saying that they were elon musk and all of a sudden he said we're going to start suspending accounts that are pretending to be someone else unless they're clearly identified as a parody this that this whole chapter in the the great catastrophizing of twitter is that to me is like reads like a parable Right. So he says, you know, he's at various different points. He's tweeted like, you know, uh, that, the, you know, in that slightly trolley tone, you know, comedy is now legal on Twitter as though somehow it wasn't before. But then uh, <laughs> like hours, mere hours later, he's uh, basically issued this edict, as you say, that uh, anybody who who has a Twitter account that doesn't clearly uh, pretending to be somebody else that doesn't clearly demark that it's parody will be suspended. And indeed, 
Um, Kathy Griffin, I mean, uh, the comedian has had a, has had her Instagram, uh, not Instagram, her, her Twitter account suspended. There's just, there's a slight, like, well, not slight, there's a massively chaotic, like Twitter's already chaotic. This is chaotic on some other level. Like, it, does it feel, it doesn't feel like it's in safe hands. I think it's safe to say. It definitely has last day of summer camp vibes about it a little bit. Um, I, I think the best analogy that I've thought about in terms of this is is one of the all-time great tweets, uh, which is, I guess, fitting for it, uh, is where it's like, you know, but I didn't think the lion would eat my face, said the woman who, you know, ran for the lion's eating faces party. <laughs> yes. Yes, right. We One thing we should talk about is in... And this is really hard to gauge because because of the chaos of what's happened with Twitter in the last uh, week or so. Do we know which units have been routed and which units are, are sort of in place in terms of like content moderation or advertising? Is there any gauge on, on what's been kept and killed? Uh, so from what we can gather, a lot of the moderation teams and things like that have gone the the at least from the Australian perspective I understand that the the advertising people have been um kept which is obviously something that they really want because they've got to pay off that loan that, that Elon took on to buy Twitter in the first place um it seems like the the a lot of the sort of the I guess the moderation and, and the community development side of of Twitter is gone or on the way out and or in, you know, in the process of rehiring, depending on how they've learned how to do these things. But I think that the core engineering capability is mostly there a little bit and and obviously the advertising because that's what they need because I think that's the thing that um, Elon sort of focused on, you know, what can we, how can I get what I want out of this platform, but also how can I make money out of it? And those are the, the sort of two most important things for him. The blue tick thing, uh, the, the, the sort of the reinvention of the blue tick is basically just being... A, a subscription, which is kind of like the only way I can kind of think about it. Um, for that that amount that he's talking about, which is, is it seven dollars or eight dollars he's talking about? It's eight dollars. Eight dollars, right? So for the, for that amount, is there anything that people are being offered beyond just a blue tick? Is there any like <laughs> value? Well, so he when there was a Twitter update released a couple of days ago, and and it had in the copy of the text for the for the app update basically saying. Um, you know, you'll you'll be able to verify, but you'll also have half the ads, but also better ads. I'm not sure what that will mean. Um, <clears throat> they're also talking about giving those users prioritization in replies and things like that, and and you'll see them come up in the algorithm a bit a bit better than you do now. Um, so so things like that, and there's obviously the existing features of what's the products that's called. Um, Twitter Blue. Uh, so so currently, if you have that, you actually have access to the edit button already, uh, and and so. Some some of that stuff will will obviously carry over, and I, I'm imagining that they'll probably try and roll over the the some of the better features that you're going to see. That I, I imagine that if if he's really if he's really intent on trying to get as many people to sign up as possible, they'll be trying to make the free version as as bad as possible in, in order to um to encourage more people to to sign up. But I think you know potentially it might have the opposite effect. People might just say, well. I'm I'm using this platform and making content. What am I getting out of it? He the other the other thing that's important to mention here is that he's also talking about monetizing uh, content for people who are um, you know having viral tweets um, go up, and I think that would just be the absolute worst thing for the platform because you know already people have just some of the most bizarre tweets out there. But if there's an encouragement to actually make money from it, then it could even get worse. I mean, I've always said with Twitter that I like. Obviously, I, I have a Twitter account, and I and I've 
I, I have, I'm ambivalent towards it in some ways because it's really um, nominally it's a tool and really what you end up judging is kind of the encounters you have with people. But there is something about the way Twitter is designed that I think on a and this is just my personal feeling is that I do think it kind of rewards the worst in some ways. It's like not always. And I know people have found really great communities there, but there is something about, you know, the the fastest Twitch, you know, the the funniest, the fastest, the meanest tweet is often the thing that travels. For It's not the only thing that travels by any stretch of the imagination, but it's often the thing that travels. And I feel like that's also the stuff that gets viral and I feel like there's already something built into the DNA of, of, of Twitter that rewards that fast Twitch muscle response. But to, the prospect of monetizing that kind of content, yeah, I don't know. T- tell me if I'm being too cynical, Josh. I think you're right. I think Twitter, I think the issue that Twitter has often had is that it just rewards people being mean and snarky and, and um Vent, allows people to venting their anger and, and so it's a lot of people just sort of arguing at each other a lot of the time on, and then compared to other social media sites like TikTok and, and Facebook where or Instagram where you've got I guess um, algorithms that are kind of honed to you and you're sort of only interacting with those who you want to interact with a lot of the mm. time on those platforms that makes it a little bit different um, I think I think one of the uh, great issues of Twitter that, that they've never really sort of been able to do. And this is this may be something that Elon Musk wants to address, but is that I don't think that everyone was everyone in the world was meant to be able to talk be able to talk and talk to everyone all at once. And it means that you've got what would otherwise be like sort of uh, clustered communities kind of all smooshed on each other all of the time. I mean there are communities within Twitter, but there's so much overlap that you'll you'll you know, what they call main character syndrome where there's always some person who's tweeted something terrible on a particular day and they become the main character of Twitter for the day. Mm. It just kind of encourages and rewards that behavior, unfortunately. One thing that I did think was interesting uh, this week, which is uh, one of the co-founders of Twitter, the original co-founder and ex-CEO Jack Dorsey, who is, I believe he's been bought out. He's no longer necessarily on board. He was kind of forced in this odd position to defend everything that's happened. And he was quite... He kind of offered a fairly full, a far more full-throated defense of Elon at a time when Elon didn't have a lot of defenders. That, at least that was my read on it. How did it play out to you, Josh? Well, yeah, I read it as, you know, when everyone was watching all those people get let go from Twitter, he was basically saying, you know, I, I, I trust his vision. You know, I, I think that ultimately he, he shouldered some of the blame on himself he was saying that the company grew too fast too quickly and i think what you know that we are seeing that a little bit reflected in um in some other tech companies uh meta is also looking at, at cutting its workforce a little bit now uh whether a lot of these companies may have grown too large particularly during the the covid pandemic and, and maybe that's sort of a readjustment but i think it's a little bit indefensible because it i think from elon musk's point of view as, and as we've seen with with having to rehire a lot of people now, um, it was very. It, I don't think it was very well thought through. Like they didn't actually look at the the business case and what people actually needed there and, and how they could actually adjust uh, their headcount if it was too high. It just seemed to be just like a need to cut half and here we go. Much of what's been done has been done to. Um kind of placate uh, advertisers. And what I have noticed that is interesting is the response from the advertising community has been, um, well, at least to my mind anyway, it's not necessarily what the ad- what Twitter probably set out. I mean, we've seen high-profile uh, media buyers basically get up on Twitter of all places and say, yeah, this isn't at all what we asked for. Um, how do you think it's, uh, how do you see it playing out, Josh? 
So I think a, a lot of them are in the wait and see mode, and I think that goes for for not just the advertisers, but people who are thinking about leaving the platform as well. And we're we're already in a bit of a tight ad market anyway. That you know the global downturn um, means that they're looking to cut and save money from their from their ad budget. And Twitter is probably an easy uh, target for them because uh, you know I think you, you probably know as well. Like I know from from being a reporter on Twitter mm. that. Um, the click-through rate for for ad, for stories is not that great anyway from Twitter, um, so for ads it'd be even lower. So I can't imagine that um, it's it's that much of a factor for for these companies to want to keep this money in. And the other thing is that they you know they don't know what uh, Elon is going to do in terms of of moderation, and I think that's the major factor. They don't want their ads to be seen alongside hate speech, and I think that's the thing that they're worried about at the moment. Yeah, the, both Mumbrella and the the Herald are reporting that basically a lot of media agencies have, as as you say, they've effectively recommended the brands pause their spend on the platform, which. And, and the argument, as you say, is it's not a safe place for brands because they just don't know what's necessarily going to happen on this thing. I mean, was that avoidable? Like, is, was there another way of playing this out that would not have resulted in that? Because they needed, you know, there's, if, the situ- if the financial situation that Twitter is in is so dire that they needed to fire a stunningly, amount of, a stunningly large amount of their staff, then surely the inverse is also true that they absolutely urgently needed an injection of advertising cash. Therefore, this result where media agencies around are looking and going, no, we're going to pause. I don't know how you can read that as anything other than a failure. Yeah, I mean, Elon Musk likes to be known as a disruptor and I'm just surprised that he's surprised that when you disrupt things, people also want to disrupt what they're doing with you. Um, It just seems to be that, you know, when you're, when it's this hard to predict what what he's going to do next and what's going to happen with it, um, why he would be worried about it. I mean, he he tweeted over the weekend that it was activists, you know, targeting advertisers and telling them to withdraw their ads. No, it wasn't. These were, as she was saying before, these are media buyers who are doing their own thinking. There's no sort of pressure campaign on advertisers at the moment. That just seems to be a way to uh, scapegoat the reason why they're doing it, and, and the reason is Elon Musk. <laughs> Moving to China now here on Download This Show, the area around the world's biggest iPhone plant has been has been locked down in China, Josh. Yeah, so this is, I mean, China is still operating on a basically COVID zero policy, um, which most, I think, if not all other countries have kind of given up on at this point. Um, and so they're, every time there's, there's cases, they end up sending people down for, for a week or locking it down. And, and that is impacting now. Apple has now announced that it's going to actually delay the shipment of some of the latest iPhones. So um, it is interesting to see now China is, is you know, the, the global expansion of China economically is now being impacted by the, uh, you know, the, the continuation of, of the COVID policy, whereas most other countries have now sort of um, uh, eased up on that. Yeah, there's been some quite alarming kind of videos emerge from some of these uh, some of these parts of China where the people like escaping on from from buildings on foot and things like that. It's, actually, it's quite alarming in a, in a lot of ways. And it, yeah, people being trapped in theme parks and things like that. It's, it's one of those things where um, you're, I kind of wonder now how much longer if they're going to continue to pursue this and, and if it's actually successful, it doesn't seem to be. I mean, they're talking about cases in, in a couple of hundred, but who really knows whether that's actually working or not because, we, we you know, as we've all experienced, we know how, how easy it is for this to transmit now. And, and 
at what point whether they'll just be like, well, we've got to actually uh, keep things running and and uh, you know keep the economy going. Uh, whether that'll that'll keep going, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Well, that, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, obviously, it goes without saying people are more important than you know technology, but um, we, there's a huge kind of um, financial imperative to keep you know, the, the, the manufacturing industry there, particularly for things like iPhones and whatnot going, um, is there going to be a point where the sort of the, the economic, and this is, it's worth pointing out, you know, a version of this debate has played out in every country on the planet where you're weighing it up against sort of a, um, a COVID zero approach versus the, the economic outcomes of a, of a nation. If it starts to have a serious impact on China's output, I mean, I wonder, I wonder if that becomes something that maybe signifies a change in their, uh, approach to the to the virus yeah i mean i i, I wouldn't want to get for covid again and, and like I, I i'm always satisfied when when all of these these policies keep it, people from getting it but i think the other thing the context that needs to be remembered here as well is we're also looking at a time when the u.s is also trying to onshore as much manufacturing particularly around um uh uh, phones and, and computer and all that sort of stuff from china so we will become a competitive market um i mean it's hard for uh, U.S. labor to sort of um, match the, the the power and the, and the scale that that China has, but you know there's, there's a real push now within the U.S. to bring a lot of that, particularly Apple manufacturing and computer manufacturing onshore. And if uh, the China is operating in a market where factories are being shut down because of COVID, they might find it easier to shift that to the U.S. Yeah, or well, I mean, and even if it's not the U.S., I mean, there's there's plenty of other. Big, like there's this giant thing called India not far away that could probably do the same thing. So there's all that stuff, stuff that's kind of floating around. It'd be interesting to see what happens next. And uh, finally here on Download This Show, uh, you thought the fax machine was dead. Uh, you're mostly right, it seems, uh, except not entirely. Uh, the fax machine may finally be uh, uh, excised from at least UK government offices because apparently they weren't already, Josh. Yeah, I'm surprised about this. I, I, I mean, I the universal service obligation in Australia is basically just for payphones and um, and uh, landlines to your home, and they're they're looking at maybe extending it now to to internet access as well. But um, it's interesting that they're now looking at uh, disembarking from that um, in in the UK now. I can't think of the last time I ever sent a fax. I, I think I maybe sent a fax once in my life. It was definitely like already obsolete by the time I was in any position to do anything. I think maybe I had to do I think I maybe had to do it once for some sort of government agency, but it's one of those things a bit like having to cash a check that it just seems when you, whenever you have to engage with that, um, it feels very antiquated. Like more often than not, if someone has a fax number on something, I'm calling it accidentally and I'm just getting that loud tone in my ear and I'm like, oh, okay, that's the wrong number. So the the deal is that uh, in, in the UK, uh, they have the Ofcom, which is the, the telecommunications regulator. And in 2003, which is when they last kind of ran these rules, they said, you know, the basic bits of technology that need to be available for, for government services included fax machines. Now, I would actually argue that fax machines were not that prevalent in 2003, but that's just me. But it did, it did kind of make me wonder, like, there are sort of technologies that exist that feel in inherently transient. Where in where do you think the legacy of the fax machine lies, Josh? If, if we are now finally putting it to bed, where do you think it sits? I think it's just in that um, in that space where you're like, I need to uh, send a form to someone who's usually government services, and it needs to arrive there faster than the mail will get that. And I think that's the only the only sort of place that it ever had. And it was you know. Email did exist around roughly the same time, but it seems very antiquated now. It's, it, it'd be kind of like now 
uh, showing like a first gen um, iPod to some people as well, like a, a, a Walkman or something like that. Where, you know, remember carrying CDs and things like that everywhere you went. So um, I think yeah, it's it's definitely like you said, it was a stopgap technology, and uh, you know, I can't. I, I think you know, we're even beyond faxes. Like we're at the point now where can we get rid of email as well? I think that's the next phase. RIP fax machine. Uh, thank you for your service. And with that, uh, I shall leave you, Josh. Thank you so much for keeping me company for the last half hour. You were so wonderful. It was an excellent fireside chat, even if the fire is actually. Twitter at this point. The fire is actually Twitter and I think my velvet uh, dinner jacket's cut, caught on fire. Oh. Um, now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Ray Johnson will be taking over the show for the next couple of weeks uh, while I'm off. Please keep her company and I'll be back uh, at the end of the year. With that, my name is Mark Fennell and thanks for listening to another episode of Download This Show. Hello, it's me again. Uh, I, I haven't got anywhere. Just one more thing before I go. I did want to tell you about an amazing series that the ABC has just released in the last couple of months. If you are a fan of what we do here in the world of technology and culture on Download This Show, I think you'll enjoy this. It is called Schmeitgeist. Yes, that's what it's called, Schmeitgeist. Uh, it's all about decoding the biggest and strangest trends going around. There's episodes on the future of the selfie or how the internet is pushing some young men to remove everything from their diet other than meat for reasons. Uh, or then there's also deep dives into online subcultures about adults regressing being back into toddlers. There's just a lot of strange things out there and you need a podcast to explain it to you. And that is why Schmeitgeist exists. It is fascinating and wild and I think it's worth a try. You can find it on the ABC Listen app. All you need to do is search for Schmeitgeist. And I know what you're thinking. How doth one spell such a thing? It's like this. S-C-H-M-I-E-T-G-I- EST. Schmeitgeist. You'll find it online. Good luck. Have a great day. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.